Good morning and welcome. I'm Isabel Renault, President and CEO of the St. John's County Chamber of Commerce, and I want to welcome you to our first virtual EDC breakfast. This is a new concept for us, and we're excited to provide you virtual content. At the end of this presentation today, uh, we need you to help us improve what we're doing, so we'll send you a survey and we look forward to your feedback. We're extremely pleased to have John Delaney join us today to share his insight. We will be formally introducing John in a few moments. First, I want to welcome the many elected officials that are with us online during this presentation. Your determination of policies to help our members and our community has been appreciated, especially during this, this past few months, challenging month that we've had. While we all, all experience an economic upheaval, I am glad to report that the Chamber continues to attract new Chamber members. We're especially appreciative of the new members that have joined at the Economic Development Council level. And they are Trial Spectrum, DR Horton, Atlantic Self Storage, former Insurance Manil Agency, Wire to Perform, also known as The Link, Cinemark, Theaters at Durban, Culinary Outfitters Restaurant, Trinity Facilities Solutions, House of Assembly Events, North uh, Art in Motion, and Comcast NBC Universal. Thank you for joining the Chamber of Commerce at a level to support economic development in our county. I also want to extend a special thank uh, for our sponsor to sponsor this virtual EDC breakfast today. The St. Augustine and St. John's County Board of Realtors continues to be our principal sponsor, and other sponsors are Flagler Health Plus, AD Davis Construction, Florida Blue, Jackson Law Group, Neville Moeno CPAs, North Avenue Capital, PuroClean, and Old and White Constructor LLC. Now, it is my pleasure to introduce to you this morning, Melissa Rowe, who is our sponsor with PureClean. She is gonna lead us in the pledge. Melissa. Good morning, and please join me for the pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Now I would like to introduce and welcome Victor Ramos, the Executive Director of the St. John's County and St. Augustine Board of Realtors and today's principal sponsor. Victor. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Uh, I'll be introducing uh, the uh, John Delaney, the speaker uh, and presenter. But first, I'd like to uh, uh, lead the invocation. Please pray. Father, thank you for every seat that has been filled here in this virtual landscape today. For each mind and heart that fills the presence of this room, whether in this room in person or through the virtual setting, we thank you. Only you truly know what we are setting out to accomplish today. We have an idea, a vision, hints, and daily instructions. We have talents, abilities, and time to work. However, only you can see in perfect detail the end of every beginning, every project, every season, every life. Nothing is ever in vain for even mistakes and missteps are used for good. Your righteousness transcends all of our efforts and understanding. Forgive us for our pride, the pride that puffs us up and the pride that threatens to unqualify us. Strengthen our confidence in who you have made us to be. Set us free from comparison in order to work together efficiently. Please bless and protect everyone from the COVID-19 and give comfort to everyone who has suffered the illness and to the families that have lost a loved one due to the virus. Bless this meeting today, all those present, as well as the lives of those we will encounter afterward. 
prepare us to make every moment count. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so pleased to introduce John Delaney. John, usually I'd be introducing you after meeting with you and sharing a meal. Just remember, John, you still owe me a meal. But in these unusual times, I'll just get to the introduction. John, this could be embarrassing to you because I looked everywhere for bio information. And some of it was quite, well, I don't know the best way to say it is, just shocking. But then I realized I had the wrong John Delaney. But first, a few words about the St. Augustine and St. John's County Board of Realtors. The board was founded in 1942 and is headquartered in central St. John's County near the 312 Business Corridor. The members of our board are very important in our community. Would every member of our board that has joined us virtually please stand and be recognized? I see that some of you did not stand. Let's try that again. Would every member of the board that have joined us virtually please stand and be recognized? Ah, that was much better. John, we appreciate your participation. I can't think of another individual best suited to offer some guidance as we recover from this pandemic. John is currently a principal with the Fiorentini Group. He is a valuable and trusted member of this consulting group. John has particular expertise in the areas of education, the environment, business relocations, and economic development. John brings decades of experience. Working with some of Northeast Florida's most successful policy initiatives, as well as close contacts and relationships with officials in Northeast Florida, across the state of Florida, and throughout the nation. John has served as mayor of Jacksonville, the 13th largest city in population and the largest in land area. He has served as a president of a university, interim chancellor of the state university system, Jacksonville general counsel, and the chief assistant state attorney for Florida's fourth circuit. In 2003, John became the University of North Florida's fifth president, managing a campus of 17,000 students, 600 faculty, and 1,400 staff, the 20th largest employer in Jacksonville. The 1,500-acre campus in Northeast Florida is considered an economic driver in the region with an annual impact of nearly $1 billion. Yes, that's with a B. Under his direction, UNF nearly doubled the building space. John also served as UNF's chief fundraiser, tripling the university's privately funded endowment. The school's last capital campaign was the region's largest capital campaign ever. He also served as interim chancellor of the state university system of Florida during his time at UNF. John served two terms as mayor of Jacksonville. During his tenure as mayor, John spearheaded numerous major initiatives, chief among them being the Better Jacksonville Plan, a $2.2 billion improvement plan that gave the city new public facilities and other amenities. John also created the, the Preservation Project, a massive land conservation program, giving Jacksonville the distinction of having the largest park system in the United States. Prior to his role in leading the city, John served as the chief assistant state attorney, the number two prosecutor for Northeast Florida, and as the general counsel for the city of Jacksonville. Uh, number two prosecutor for Northeast Florida. Now I remember, John, how we first met. He and his wife, Jenna, have four children and three, three grandchildren. Now I would like to turn this event over to Mike Copenhafer, I knew I was gonna do that, Copenhafer of Fisher Copenhafer Architecture and Interior Design and Chair of our Economic Development Council.
he'll be discussing the pass forward with John. Thank you, Victor. I always appreciate that comedic input there. Um, good morning. Um, it is wonderful that so many of you can join us today and hear our guest speaker today. At our EDC breakfast in December of 2019, we heard an optimistic economic forecast for St. John's County, our region, the state of Florida, and our country. At that time, St. John's County's unemployment rate was a recorded at a remarkable 2.2%. A few months later, St. John's County, along with other counties in Florida, the states in our country, the countries around the globe, and, and the entire globe had entered into a pandemic. This health crisis soon became an economic crisis as businesses were shuttered and people's lives were turned upside down. Your chamber quickly pivoted to coordinating virtual economic development council webinars and provided members and the community with relevant, timely information. The crisis is far from over, but we have begun a recovery phase. Our speaker will address this next topic. Despite, and perhaps due to some of its effects, the economic activity in St. John's County is busy. For example, we recently learned that an Amazon distribution facility may be coming to St. John's County on Inman Road. These technological wonders are expanding across the U.S. as demand for Amazon products increases. They bring hundreds of good paying jobs with benefits. And just yesterday, I joined a group that was masked and socially distanced to mark the beginning of a new concept in Nocatee. The link building is being designed to provide connected spaces for several generations of St. John's County residents. I know Ragu Misra, the Link's visionary creator, is on the line now and congratulations, Ragu. John, could you please begin our dialogue with a few observations? Sure, I can appreciate it. And thank you, Victor, for, for the introduction. Uh, yeah, there was a John Delaney that ran for president this last cycle. He was a Democratic congressman out of Maryland. And I said he watered down the brand. But uh, <laughs> and so I thought, give a couple quick examples to kind of frame some of the discussion. And um, some of you, if you've been in Northeast Florida for a while, may remember the old Gulf Life Insurance Company, which was uh, anchored a major building in downtown on the south bank of the river. And they were purchased by a firm in Tennessee when I was mayor and and with it was going to go a good number of jobs. And so I was meeting with the CEO and we're trying to persuade him to keep the jobs here. And and he, he said something pretty telling to me. He said, Mayor, uh, we can move our jobs wherever there's an electric plug and a phone jack. He said, we tend to want to locate where there is a low cost of living, a low tax environment. Uh, and a low regulatory or reasonable regulatory environment. And in the end, it's about the quality of life. And it was a bit of an eye opener to me how flexible many of these jobs, particularly the white collar jobs really, really are. And so you sort of focus on those elements that you wanna make sure that your tax structure is a reasonable one. And then somewhat competing with that is you need to invest as a government in the quality of life of the community. And you know, if you don't have the roads, if you don't have the schools, the parks, the Little League baseball games, all those sorts of things that people, you know, look forward to in terms of raising family. Uh, you're not going to have many jobs that, that, that relocate to that particular area. Uh, fortunately for Florida, for St. John's County, um, it is a, a reasonable level of taxation and there is a, a phenomenal quality of life. I had a Chamber of Commerce executive, though, that told me some years ago that every city claims it has a great quality of life, whether it's uh, Omaha, Nebraska or Anchorage, Alaska or Bangor, Maine, and, uh, and it's all about really what kind of people we're looking for, you know, in their particular lifestyle. Um, got a lot of my college friends that <clears throat> when we got out of school, Orlando was booming and they live in Orlando and, and uh, Orlando's got a nice downtown and that kind of a thing, but I'd rather have a pencil in my eye than drive through Orlando. That's just not, not what I'm looking for, but there's a couple million people that, that love it. So I'm not belittling that city or not meaning to belittle the city, um, but there's different aspects of the quality of life that you look for. Um, and it really, in the end, does require some investment. Um, in the Northeast Florida area, the rest of Florida really had exploded in the 80s and the 90s, and that growth was somewhat delayed in coming to the Northeast Florida area. Um, and when it did in the, in the mid-90s, the temptation is to say, you know, I've built my house on the mountain. I don't want any other houses built because I want to keep my view. The idea of being kind of the last one in and you want to pull the, you know, pull the, the bridge up over the moat with nobody else to come in. 
and there is downsides to growth, but there's upsides to growth. You know, if you've got a business and it's a restaurant, you're selling more hamburgers and more shrimp, you're selling more t-shirts, you're designing more buildings and projects as an architect or a designer. So the growth is good, but there are downsides to growth. And um, one is infrastructure tends to not keep up. Uh, government is just historically not good at looking 10 and 20 years down the road. It seems to me whenever a road project finishes, it immediately is at capacity and they're already looking to add another lane or another few lanes. And so, and it's hard when you're, you know, elected on a four-year cycle to think for the years far after you may or may not be in office, but infrastructure falls behind. Uh, the environment gets negatively impacted. You know, we pollute the air, we pollute the water, we pollute the land. And, um, and then the, the third downside of growth is the older communities tend to get leapfrogged and left behind. Um, particularly when it's a residential area, you just keep tending to expand. Um, fortunately, again, in, in a lot of St. John's County, the communities are being very well designed. Nakati is a great example, but perhaps one of the best designed growth plans uh, maybe in the country, in, in my mind. Some people living there may disagree with me on that, but, but, but I really think it's spectacular as somebody that's been a mayor of a city and taking a look at that. So in all of those things, you've got to kind of balance it out. Um, the idea of investing in a quality life, roads aren't free. They, I mean, they cost money. Uh, being able to have recreational opportunities for people and for kids. Um, when you're in an elected office in a, in a county of this size or bigger, you've got a diverse array of interests. Um, for example, there's a, a model airplane club in Northeast Florida. They like to fly, fly these little airplanes and they need some, they need kind of a runway place. There's people that love to bowl or love to play softball or baseball. So you're always after trying to scratch all of those itches and that's all kind of wrapped up in that uh, amorphous quality of life. I'll kind of close out with this last example and then kick over to you Mike to uh, kind of make sure we touch on the things you'd like to touch on. But uh, so on the board of an insurance company, <clears throat> property and casualty insurance company that was long based in a beautiful little town in New England, in New Hampshire. And the company grew, became a billion dollar plus company uh, and the problem the company had, as beautiful as this little idyllic, teeny little town was, um, they couldn't recruit executives there. There were other amenities that people coming out of college or that were transferring of other companies were used to that you tend to get in a mid-sized city or in the larger cities. And so they actually redomiciled or moved their headquarters to, to Jacksonville or to Northeast Florida. And a lot of those employees bought homes in Northern St. Johns County. So we do need to kind of think as a region uh, but I think kind of keeping in mind those things, companies can pick up and move. You've got to have a reasonable cost of living, whatever that pricing is, large part of that's driven by taxes. But you also want a quality of life that will entice people to say, that's where I want to live. That's where I want to raise kids. That's where I want to see if my parents will move with me. I want to be my, my grandkids nearby, all those kinds of things. And it, it takes a balance. And uh, fortunately, St. John's County is well ahead of that on virtually any kind of measuring stick. Uh, and it's continuing to grow. And as I circle back to growth's good, that's what Chamber of Commerce are, are really about. Thank you, John. I, and I would herald that as well. I, I think St. St. John's County has a great quality of life. We've got phenomenal public schools, number one in the state. Um, we got beaches, we got the weather, we got the low taxes, et cetera. And I think we do lag behind and don't see the sharper spikes in growth or development uh, that you might see in sort of central or south Florida there. But, but with that, that infrastructure, from an educational standpoint, what, what, what do we need to be focusing on in St. John's County here? We, we, we've got some tertiary educational opportunities from tech schools to colleges um, here, and some of those are, are, are expanding, which is certainly great. But it, it, it seems like, like, as in your examples, tech companies or even real other companies don't want to necessarily relocate where there's not a good basis for, for, for employees. In, in, employees there. Yeah, no, I agree. <clears throat> we, we see that. You can see that all over that some of the companies that have a lot of engineers, uh, they want to make sure there's a university or college nearby generating engineers or generating uh, people with computing degrees and that kind of a thing. I think there's enough critical mass in all of Northeast Florida. When you get to million and a half, million six, million seven population, there's probably enough to absorb all but the very huge companies that are coming in and want five or 6,000 jobs in a short period of time. But I think you've touched on one of St. John's County's big strengths. Um, that's a K-12 education. It is right. very, very well regarded. 
Uh, some of that is due, quite frankly, to the fact that the northern part of the county, it's upper middle income for the most part. And, and, um, and often the, the quality of an education is tied to the wealth of the families. It's almost a, a key indicator of what can go on. But that's a massive calling card. And um, employer after employer in Jacksonville that moves there finds most of their employees are buying houses down here. Um, they fit the affordability. Duval County, to a large extent, is almost built out in terms of residential development. There's some place on the, on the extreme northern end of the county, but growth tends to go in one direction. You know, you can go to Gainesville, Florida, where it kind of flowed west if, 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 if you're a gator and, and, uh, and um, uh, in Tallahassee, it tended to go in a direction and it's moving south. And there still is massive opportunity in the, in the southern part of the county. Uh, and then you really, you go to higher education. Um, Flagler College is a, a heck of an economic generator really for St. Augustine. And um, if you pluck that out of St. Augustine, there'd be massive impacts on the restaurants, on rentals, on, right. on uh, uh, you know, all the various things that are in that downtown area. And uh, colleges and universities tend to have a multiplier of 10 to 15, 10 to 20 for every dollar that is in the budget of that institution. It has that big of an impact on, on the surrounding community. And, uh, and of course, a lot of the people that my daughter-in-law graduated from Flagler College and, and uh, they tend to stay in the area once they fall, they, they fall in love with it. So uh, on anything, <clears throat> um, you take a look at the major drivers of economies. Most states in their top three or four are gonna have agriculture and tourism. Uh, when you really break it out and whether that's South Dakota, uh, tourism's massive in South Dakota because pheasant hunting is there in the, in, in the fall and the winter and people come from frankly all over the world to go to South Dakota to hunt. So every state you get that. And then you look at what's your third and fourth and fifth big driver. And I, I think uh, 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 St. Augustine in particular used to live and die on tourism. I mean, I can remember in the seventies and eighties when there'd be a recession, it would be painful for St. Augustine well, the economy is much more diversified now, and those boom and busts aren't quite as devastating as they were to the town back in the 70s. Right. Uh, so with, with, with COVID and the, the hospitality taking the, the biggest hit here, um, what do you see? Do, do you think it's a good idea to sort of cross-train that, that, that tourism work, workforce? Um, yeah, it's always good to kind of have that. What you always want is some backups. Uh, tourism is always going to be impacted by an economy. And of course, this pandemic, you almost want to kind of set it aside for most of our discussion, hoping and praying that it's a temporary particular issue. But it, it's certainly unique because it's just frozen tourism, frozen the airline industry. It's, it's had a massive impact. And again, I'm hoping it's a V-shaped kind of a recovery. Right. But uh, you always want a diversified, uh, you know, a diversified workforce. The biggest employer in St. John's County, set aside government, uh, is, is Flagler Hospital. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, the biggest employer and healthcare is always gonna be a big driver, particularly now with the way it is funded. And um, although Northern, uh, Northern, Northeast Florida is the youngest portion of the state, you know, we're getting older. And unfortunately, when you get older, things start breaking down. And so healthcare is really gonna be big. And uh, healthcare systems like Flagler, they're fairly well-paid people. Uh, when you, you know, almost probably 95% are very well paid and uh, clearly in the middle class and, and if not above. And so that's quite a gem. And, um, you know, I have a lot of close friends from college that are, that are from St. John's County and St. Augustine. And that hospital 50 years ago is so dramatically different today and all for the good. And uh, uh, Jason Barrett, the CEO there, the previous CEO was a spectacular leader. Jason's a friend. Uh, that's quite the gem. And you hope, you hope that it continues to grow. Right. I mean, they're, they're doing an outstanding job, but there's a, there's a pretty large medical boom now that had begun, frankly, before the, the COVID pandemic came out. And um, uh, some family members are in the, the medical field, and, and there's just a real <coughs> crush on trying to find pe people now. You've got, you've got Flagler Health expanding, you've got Baptist, Ascension, all, all coming into the St. John's County market here, or, or as Flagler, of course, has been here for, for decades, for centuries, really. Um, how are, how can they even attempt to fill those hospitals? Uh, well, the growth is phenomenal in Northern St. John's County. I mean, you know, over a 20 year period, I think it's a hundred to 200,000 people extra. That's incredible. I mean, in terms of raw numbers, forget what your base was to begin with, um, for any County, that's a lot of people in that kind of period. So they're going to have demands on retail, demands on healthcare, demands on infrastructure. And, um, 
Baptist South, which is you know just across the county line, um, was filled up decades ahead of what its its growth plans were. So I think there's going to be capacity there. I know Flagler is looking to invest, and you mentioned some other hospitals that may or may not be going forward with their plans. But uh, they know they know their business, and, um, and 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 they're not going to build where there isn't going to be demand. And um, right. um, and it's it's a needed component. You know, if if uh, I've raised four kids and there's always a broken bone or something that needs stitches, and you don't want to drive an hour to the hospital, you want one pretty close. And so. There's clearly going to be a need in northeast in uh, northern St. John's County, and the, the the medical field too. It's it's diversifying in terms of rather than going to the central hospital location, there's there's urgent cares tied to the hospital. There's urgent cares that are standalone, and there's there's a lot more opportunities there for 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 care itself. Well, and that's what's going to go on in, in where these hospitals are building is it's doctors' offices, it's physical therapy, it's occupational therapy. Um, it is the urgent care centers that often do feed those main hospitals. So there's a lot of collateral things that go along with that. And, and again, that's an industry that's only going to continue to have higher demands. Right. Um, let's talk about degrees. So it, there's, a, there's a degree for, for everyone, whether that's a postgraduate, graduate, uh, even a VOTEC or an, or, or an associates. Where do you see those moving around? In the near future. Yeah, it, it students, uh, collegiate students are very sensitive, or many of them, not all of them, are very sensitive to where the jobs are going to be. And uh, in the lead up to Y2K, the year 2000, um, tech computing, I mean, and those programs were flooded. Um, that since sort of watered down a little bit. Uh, the demand for teachers and nurses is very cyclical. And, and people move in there. I think particularly there's going to be more interest in becoming a school teacher now with the salaries now getting to a more reasonable level, still maybe half what we ought to be paying our teachers, but um, that's a dramatic kind of a shift. And um, actually a variation of that question, um, um, Governor Scott, who's now Senator Scott, he and I had about an hour long, I don't know if I call it an argument, I don't know if I call it a debate, but kind of back and forth. His big push, I want everybody to move into STEM jobs, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. And I'd said to him, Governor, some kids want to be teachers, some kids want to be artists, um, and some want to go into theater. Um, the latter two of which don't pay well, teaching didn't really pay well until fairly recently, and the state's better off to have artists and things like that. You, you need that component. And so I think students are going to go where they see the jobs being, uh, but some are going to go to where their own personal interests are and, and uh, I've told parents and students for years after being a president for 15 years of a, of a university, there's a college for everybody. Um, you know, uh, some people want to live in a college town like, like Gainesville, and some want to live in a, in a gorgeous little downtown like people that go to Flagler College. Some want to live in a suburban area. Some want to live in an agricultural area. Some want big, some want small. So it's all about fit. And, and students, when you go to college, it's not like getting married where you hope it's forever. If, you, if it doesn't fit for you, you can go someplace else and you, know, you can go to a college that's going to scratch your itches. So uh, students will find the degrees and find the jobs. Okay, thank you. Um, technology is changing biz businesses every day and certainly in, in the technology fields. Are schools too slow to change to this more rapid pace in, biz, in, in, in business or are businesses adapting to accepting the, the, the graduates with like a baseline education? and then retraining them or re, doing a re-education on what they need that, that, that workforce to, to do or be. Yeah, um, a lot of these things have changed. Many major companies would go in and hire a liberal arts major and say, we'll train them in the areas that we need, whether it's a General Motors or whatever. Uh, businesses are now becoming much more narrowly focused in that they want someone with a degree in, in that, that moves them ahead. Um, that that uh, it may be the tech training, it may be a marketing degree, it may be uh, uh, a finance degree. Um, schools are le or employers are finding less inclined to hire that liberal arts major. I'm a big liberal arts fan, and uh, they, that, that degree comes under a lot of criticism. But if you look at the Fortune 500 CEOs, I haven't looked the last few years, but I looked every year for years, uh, over half of the Fortune 500 CEOs were liberal arts majors. And they tended to come from small colleges in Kansas and schools that maybe a lot of people hadn't heard from, heard of. 
you know, after your first five years, the liberal arts majors are making just as much as an engineer and some of the some of these others uh, on average. You know, there's always going to be highs and lows. So um, I often say to engineers and business majors, I wish you'd take more writing, more English, more literature, political science, history. I think those people tend to be better, more well-rounded. <clears throat> you can take a look at the CEOs of a lot of companies often, not always, but often they're not the technical expert in whatever that business happens to be, right. but they've got communication skills, rainmaking skills, innate management skills. And so a lot of that can be taught. But circling back to your core question, uh, more employers are tending to look to more degree specific things. Uh, this isn't always the way, but at UNF, our deans of our respective colleges looked for feedback from employers. Are our people prepared? Are there elements of the curriculum that need to be updated? And, and if you want to be responsive, you really need to do that. And um, some of the older, larger schools may or may not be doing that. But after a period of time, employers start saying, hey, your people aren't as prepared. And um, um, I'm maybe a little bragging here, but, but um, at UNF had pretty much the highest job placement rate of all of the schools, the universities, public universities in Florida, because employers like that, because we were trying to do that. Right. And so a little editorializing on that point. But UNF adapted, I mean, pretty quickly then, with, within a year, say, of, of, of some employers saying, this is some other skills we would like, like to see come, coming out. Of well, we'd like to think we were, and I, I, and, and I, I hope that's so. <clears throat> There's no question universities tend to be slower. <clears throat> the uh, state colleges and community colleges are far more nimble. They tend to be focused more on the technical, some of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, uh, often the manufacturing levels or whatever. But I know when I was mayor and so many of our employers at that time, uh, who was a virtual partner, was the president of FSCJ and St. John's River Community College because they're the ones that could really provide it. Now, often the bachelor degree levels, like we said earlier, the engineering uh, area, the tech areas, it's gotten a little bit more sophisticated, but there still is a phenomenal demand for the technical degrees, the technical training, and the two-year degrees by employers. Those are really not going to go away, and I think they're underappreciated by a lot of the public. All right. Okay. give you one quick example of that. The, the anecdote it is that uh, physician had an electrical problem or a plumbing problem, and, and uh, the plumber and the, or the electrician came by and said, this is the bid that it's going to take to fix it. And the doctor said, my God, he says, I'm a physician. I don't make that kind of money. And the plumber said, yeah, when I was a physician, I didn't make that kind of money either. <laughs> so there's a lot of opportunity in, in those jobs. And, and some, some uh, high school graduates, <clears throat> they're not interested in the history degree. or the, That's not where their, their bent is. And if they're good with their hands and are good at running technically related equipment or plumbing or electrical, um, more power to them. You can make a good living at it. Yeah, you can make them excellent. So, so in my experience as, as, as the owner of an architectural and interior design firm, and, and I've seen, seen this since I've been out of school for 29 years, years now, do you teach the graduates the technical side or the overall humanities and arts side? And, and for the most part, it's still the overall. So we hired an, an, an intern a while back, and, and again, it, it, there's like a couple year lag where this person needs to be trained into you know, what architects do every day and, and learn the details and, and, and all that. And I mean, that's, that's been going on, like I said, for 29 years in my experience. I assume that's gonna keep, keep going on. Well, um, again, employers are tending to demand less work on the employer. They don't, they can't afford the year to kind of ramp right. up to get people educated. But I think most professional degrees, like my law degree, your, your degree, often they don't teach you how to practice architecture or practice law. It's the raw, pure technical things. And so often it is that first employer that kind of walks through, this is how you do hourly billing, this is how you price out a project, uh, that sort of a thing. What universities are seeing, um, and I, I'm, I'm of mixed mind on this. I'm probably not happy about this. It used to be that your first two years of a four-year degree, what was known as general education, where you took some liberal arts, you took some business, you, you, took a, you got a general education, and then you would move into the engineering program or go to the architecture school, that kind of a thing. Uh, again, employers are saying, uh-uh, you need to orient people to that degree earlier. And so a lot of that, those general education curriculums are now setting up tracks so you can kind of start to be oriented in the discipline that you want to graduate in earlier. 
Right. Um, I changed majors a number of times, and I kind of think that was good. Uh, but a lot of people at 18, they know exactly what they want to do. And um, a lot of them don't end up heading that way. They realize that's harder than I thought, or I'm not as interested in it as I thought, and they shift majors. That's why I thought that two-year general education was, was a really positive thing. Uh, but that's, that's evolving now. People are moving, moving in a different direction, and schools are moving to try to get people students to be able to graduate earlier with more expertise in the, in the ultimate major that they want to graduate with. Excellent. Um, if, uh, for all the Zoom folks, if you want to ask a question to John, please type in on the chat line or in the, or in the Q&A line. We've, we've got our first one. Uh, John, with the future of banks and financial firms looking so strong, why don't we hear anything to promote UNF recently being ranked as number five in the country in producing and finance in producing fin financial advisors. Yeah, that's a, that's a great plug, probably a UNF <laughs> graduate or I'm faculty sure. member. And, and uh, uh, yeah, it's a terrific business school. <clears throat> There's no question of that. And it has a classification that's really in about the top 1% of, of schools in accounting, management, marketing, et cetera. And it's not very well known. You know, the old saying is that, you know, Jesus couldn't heal in his hometown. Everybody said, no, that's, that's the kid that was kicking the ball down the street. And I think often we don't appreciate our hometown schools. And, uh, and that's why I really put the plug in for Flagler. That, that's a heck, it's a liberal, a liberal arts school, but the president is moving them more into the STEM area to have some degree offerings there. And so I think there's a, a good plug for that. You know, uh, the, the state of Florida has a good university system. Um, and, you know, that there's not a one-size-fits-all I'm somewhat critical of the Board of Governors is trying to make all the schools look alike. I think you really, again, I've got four kids. I don't want them to be exactly the same. I want them to thrive with their own kinds of personalities. And so uh, you can get a, a good degree and a good discipline in, in really virtually all of the schools. And uh, I tend to like the UNF model and the Flagler kind of a model that is smaller class sizes, faculty teaching the classes one-on-one, -on -one, the faculty knowing the students in the classroom. UNF had the smallest class size of the public universities in the state. Flagler has a very intimate class size, and as do the technical schools that are in St. Augustine. I think that's a plus. Right. Uh, some people love it to be all online. I can't get my arms around a completely online degree, but there's a segment of the population that can get there. So uh, uh, thanks for the plug, whoever whoever said that one. Yeah. In. I mean, the, on. the, yeah. the, the online is more popular now, but I, I, I don't see how that replaces the, the live and in-person Q&A back and forth. Well, you're 100% right on that. I'll put a sort of a plug in on that, that um, a lot of legislators sort of feel, hey, we don't need to build any more buildings. We may not have to even hire any more faculty. They can teach 2,000, 20,000, 200,000 students. And, and there are some degrees and some classes, <clears throat> survey classes that an online thing makes a lot of sense. Um, we always kind of like the idea of at least a hybrid there's some advantages to elements of online, but there's a lot to be said for the interpersonal kind of a thing that a faculty member can have. And I often say half what you learn is walking between classes. Right, that's the overall yeah. holistic humanities yeah. part of it. You had mentioned, you know, your kids. What would you suggest for your kids or your grandkids? What degree track uh, for someone who's not 100% sure what they want to do yet? Um, you know, all of them are different, you know, and, and, uh, and with sort of a different focus. And I like the liberal arts, uh, Florida State University in Tallahassee. John Frasher, the president there, who has a place here in St. John's County, he says, we believe in the liberal arts. I think everything's built on a liberal arts base. And um, so I think that's healthy. But by and large, I try not to steer them a particular way. I think, uh, I don't know about in your discipline or not, often I find most physicians don't really want their kids to become a physician. And most lawyers say, oh, geez, this is yeah, a horrible career. <laughs> yeah, but then when they do, you're kind of proud. The outside of it. In, yeah, yeah, it kind of, kind of tickles you when that happens. And so everybody's got to kind of float their own boat on, on, on how they're oriented. And uh, uh, my oldest son was an English major and uh, ended up getting a master's in that as well. And, and uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful writer and he's in a, in a marketing job where that has helped him out. And, and uh, uh, youngest daughter is a nurse. You know, and, and she loves that. A great potential there. She's looking at grad school. So everybody's different. Very diverse. Okay. Um, another quest question from on, online. If you were making decisions for the county on infrastructure, would you place a higher priority on network infrastructure over road inf infrastructure with the current trends with remote work and remote learning? 
Yeah, and I'm, I'm um, you may be better to answer that question than me because, um, you know, my internet works and, and I've, I'm able to do what I need to do from home. And as all of us are doing uh, that are kind of in the white collar jobs, doing a lot more of the Zoom calls. Um, and this may be a mayoral bias. Um, I think the traditional infrastructure of roads, sidewalks, um, parks, drainage, water and sewer lines, kind of going back to the very beginning, uh, I used to say, I learned it early uh, when I was mayor, economic development stops at the end of a water and a sewer line. It, 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 you're not going to build a factory without a water pipe. Uh, you're not going to have a massive septic tank, you know, that, that kind of a thing, a, a shopping mall. That's just not the way that's going to work. And, and uh, you can go to counties all across the country and you can almost see where that line stops. And so I tend to think that infrastructure supports everything else. And, um, you know, people can't get around, can't move around, they can't recreate. You lose that quality of life that I think is so important. But I'm not enough of a tech expert, tech expert to see what shortcomings we have on, on electronic networking. Right. I mean, to me, you always need the, the expansion of the, the infrastructure. You need the roads. You're, you're going to go to Publix. You're going to go out to dinner. You're going to take your kids to, to, to school or ballet class. And so that gets back to the quality of life. While you're doing the infrastructure improvements, the, the physical stuff, run the lines, run the fiber network, and, and, and that's all expanding greatly. I mean, Apple's going to come out with the, the 5G now coming soon here, I think, in September. And um, private sector just sort of keeps up with all of that. It's mm -hmm. not like we have to push for it. They're, they they want to spoon feed you that 5, 5G because probably it's going to cost you a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, the private marketplace is more responsive and more nimble. And competition has that big benefit, and government tends to not have that. But right. you made an allusion to something that that uh, that I learned on this growth thing. It would irritate me. You'd see a new road go in, or you'd see it be paved, and then two months later, they're digging it up. The cable company's going in, and then they paved it back over, and then then they're underlining electric. And so, if you're thinking well enough, it costs more upfront to lay the pipes down there to be able to run those kinds of services through. Um, and, and we tried to do that with a referendum that we call the Better Jacksonville Plan in, in 2000, which is let's try to do the infrastructure right when we're investing in a road. And that was about a, a billion and a half in infrastructure investment from 2000 really through today. And um, um, you don't feel it if you're caught in traffic in Northeast Florida, but, but it's, a, it's better infrastructure than Orlando, than Tampa, than Miami, than Lauderdale. Um, but you, know, you always got to keep trying to get ahead of it. Right, and I think one of the one of the benefits that St. John's County has is, is is that, as you were mentioning earlier, you have these newer developments, and so rather than going back through uh, San Marco or or an Avondale where it's already in and you got giant trees and you don't want to cut them down, um, you can put all that infrastructure in into the roadways to begin with, and I think they're smarter and 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 smarter about it now, especially because technology wasn't there fifty or hundred years ago, let's say for some of those other communities. Um, Let's give an example of that that I used to do when we were you know, pitching that referendum. <clears throat> Orlando um, in the mid-1960s, <clears throat> Disney decided they were going to move there. I've got a picture. It's an old Jacksonville mayor that later became governor and there was I think Roy Disney, Walt Disney's brother, talking about how Orlando is going to be the world's biggest tourist destination. And it and Las Vegas kind of go back and forth. And you go look at I-4. Orlando knew that this was coming or Orange County. And what they literally are looking at having to do is to putting a deck on top of, Chan of, of I-4 through Orlando. It's massively expensive because mm -hmm. they can't go to your point and knock down the churches and the neighborhoods to be able, at least not in any kind of an efficient way. And so you really need to think long-term and a lot of these developments have done that. I mean, again, Nakati I think is a spectacular example of that. And, and, uh, um, and St. John's County has been able, I think, to learn from some of the lessons of, of counties that failed on that in the earlier years. So I think, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's in a terrific position to be able to, to address that. All right. Uh, a couple more online here. Um, World Golf Village is such a stunning, beautiful area with an awesome communities, with, with awesome communities and great golf courses. But the retail ring attached to the Hall of Fame is, still sits almost vacant and is in need of an anchor tenant. Uh, thoughts on how the county can assist in getting World Golf Village retail ring revitalized? Yeah, I think that probably is a head scratcher to a lot of us that that, that has been more of a struggle. 
Some of it is the long road that you got to go through to get around to that retail area that I think makes sense kind of on the map, but maybe in hindsight, it's a little too hard to get to off the interstate. Um, yeah, I think, I think if the county decides it wants to go in, in the end, you tend to have to incentivize things right. that you want and, uh, and maybe find a way from a tax abatement or something to make it more economically viable. And, you know, retailers are going to go where they're going to get a return. And they know their business a whole lot better than the government does on what, what kind of a, a flow through they need in terms of personnel. But if you can lower that cost, it can make the price point more, more viable for, uh, for future retail. Right, and and I think that that area because I've because I've looked at that we've we've done some projects. It needs some diversity. It needs a reason to be there. Mm -hmm. World Golf Hall of Fame is great, and they're doing a fantastic job. But you know everything else died around it. So if you did a mixed use with even residential there, because again you can't build a house fast enough in St. John's County yeah. right now. It's a great location. There's a ton of stuff around it, and it's a beautiful area. So well, the the truism, and you know it better than me, is retail follows residential which is why I think a mixed use thing as you've alluded to would really work. I mean, I don't know if anybody that questioned that development when it first went out, you got a convention center there, you got a, a world golf museum, you've got millions of people driving down I-95 every day. And that uh, um, it's, it's a little surprising in hindsight that it didn't quite work the way it did, but I think you just hit it. If you can get some density of residential and diversify that retail mix, I think it's going to click. Yeah. Uh, you can see that in other parts of, of, of Northeast Florida and um, um, where they've got what's kind of what they call a town center development, like the town center mall and the Atlantic Beach, Neptune Beach area. There's an area they call town center there that's got that. It's got enough density of people that the retail and the restaurants are just thriving. Right. Yeah. And I think the, the, the what the county can do to help that is to to bring forward some incentives mm -hmm. to a developer or to someone to, to rehab that, that whole area. And that in St. John's County, the, the incentives just aren't as, as powerful as they are in Duval. There's just not that, that large a bucket for it. Yeah, no, there, there's no question that, that bigger gives you more, gives you, gives you some more leverage. There's no question of that. And, and, uh, and again, I think this is going to change for the positive. I don't remember this exact point, but it used to be that a, a house of a certain value didn't really uh, pay enough taxes to provide the services mm -hmm. that the county provides. I don't know what that number is. Let's just let's say three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, that's, that's pretty shows substantial. You, it, it's double the way I remembered. I added about one seventy. So you call it three fifty. So if you have residential below that to educate the kids that live there, to deal with the police and public safety, to make sure that a fire department rescues nearby, you kind of lose money on those. And so much of the development has been in the residential area. And but Retail follows that, and you're seeing that exploding as well, that retail follows residential. So I think there'll be a positive to that. And again, you go back to the hook, the major employers, healthcare with Flagler, there, there's a lot of positive spinoffs that come as that expands. Right. Uh, the next question is about affordable housing. St. John's County has challenges providing workforce housing, including for medical jobs that you mentioned. One challenge is infrastructure, and when developers build it, pass it along, the housing is less affordable. What other options are there for infrastructure planning? Yeah, um, I did not have as much of an appreciation for affordable housing um, at the time that I was mayor, and it's because there was affordable housing, but, but um, the state has a pretty good program to help with that, to subsidize developers, to set substandard market rates for the rental, but that revenue tends to go to the major cities. Uh, the Tampas and the Orlandos as opposed to a St. John's County. And so the only way to deal with that is government at some level has to buy that market down and incentivize the development of that housing. And it is critical as the cost of living goes up even marginally, um, as, the, as the person that I guess sent it on in is, is, is right. Um, a nursing job is a very good job, but um, it's barely enough to live alone. Uh, you know, if you're married or got a roommate, different deal, but that roughly 50,000 fresh that threshold, if you're making less than that, it's hard to pull that off. And so affordable housing is needed uh, to be able to make that fly. And some of the, and I think the county has done some, some, at least what I've heard, some good things to encourage developers to include that component. And, uh, but we need a lot more. I mean, we, we need probably double or triple the amount of units in the state that we have right now. Right. I, so I know that the, the county itself, um, I sit on the planning zoning agency and we just approved and it's going to the board of county commissioners for, for final approval. Um, some uh, revisions to the 
zoning code, which allows more more density for you know what 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 qualifies as, as workforce housing, and and that's a big step. The county is also doing one. We're actually the architect on this project, uh, some affordable housing off of 207, right behind the the dollar store, about a no, mile north of, or so of, of 95 there, and it, I mean it's. And that's only coming in because of the hurricane money, the reimbursement there that, you know, the county sees it as a need, but, you know, it's, they're not in the business of really putting on, putting affordable housing on, on the map. Well, it's an under understood concept, this idea of affordable housing. And just to give a quick example, Vail, Colorado, which is this high end ski resort, spectacular multi-million dollar condos and homes. Um, but you've got to have workers in the restaurants and the ski resort and there's no affordable housing. And so they've got to kind of almost do a dorm thing. They tend to be people in their early twenties, but you can head that way if you're not careful. And, uh, Jacksonville's doing a great job in downtown Jacksonville when the rest of downtown takes off, there's a good affordable housing stock, but that takes thinking way in advance. And so it's, it's, uh, the questioners, I think posing a good question for the County commissioners and the city councilors. Yeah, it, it, it's still a, a work in progress. I, I don't, I, it, it's not going to get solved in the next decade. It's going to take some, some time. I have another question from the audience. This one is regarding the Republican National Convention and just asking what will be the impact of the Republican National Convention on Northeast Florida? Uh, economic impact, it, it'll be a positive because people are going to be spending money as they come to town and, and uh, hoteliers and restaurants are, you know, been starving the last three months. That's going to spill over into St. John's County as well. Uh, there's the collateral concern about health, and uh, the mayor has said that uh, some of the health guidelines will be followed. If they are, good. If they're not, there's not much that can be done at this point in time about it. But uh, I used to say that any kind of convention I'd be happy to bring to the Northeast Florida area, whether it was uh, uh, the Jehovah's Witness, no, no matter what it is, you love to have things that fill up the, the hotels and the restaurants. And, you know, I used to say about tourism, you know, when a tourist comes to town, you're not educating their kids. By and large, you're not arresting them. And so <laughs> it's found money. It's a, it's a plus when, when they happen to be here and they're spending money in the restaurants, which are putting people to work. So by and large, those are good. There's a lot of collateral controversy with it that we don't need to deal with now or I don't need to deal with. Um, so we'll just see. But overall, it's going to have a positive impact on St. John's County economically from that, just that standpoint. Okay, one more question. Are there any short term programs for adult learners to expand or fill in the things they would normally, they would, that would need to make their education more complete, perhaps a semester or a year opportunity to update their skills and abilities. The concern is that older workers may be displaced. Yeah, um, the schools have, have gotten pretty good at that. Um, um, particularly the state colleges, um, I think are very, very flexible and adaptable that, again, it depends on, you know, where you are. If, 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 if you're in the healthcare area, it's going to tend to be at the bachelor's level that maybe you want to try to get those updates and training. But there's a lot of what's known as continuing education, which is a little more narrowly focused, but there's spectacular programs at the state colleges and the state universities for that. And I imagine Flagler does too. I'm just not that familiar with it. Flagler College. Interestingly, we have a question from Dr. Joyner at Flagler. He says, thank you for the kind words about Flagler College. How do you see higher education and Flagler in particular partnering with partnering with the chamber and businesses in St. John's County to enhance economic growth in our sector? Well, I think Dr. Joyner has been doing that with with uh, he's got an entirely new building that is oriented to that STEM area. He'd be far more versed in it than me. But but uh, I know a number of members of the Flagler College Board are, are dear friends of mine and and uh, uh, and they are they're business people. And so they're really oriented to where that happens to go. But I'd go back to say, I just love the liberal arts. And I think Flagler College does a spectacular job with that. I think it's a great basis for anything people end up doing. You can always go and get that MBA. A lot of lawyers have liberal arts degrees that, that go on and do that. And so um, I think it's a gem and it's a real prize for the downtown. I came over to the Volano Bridge this morning and you just see the spires and the towers of the college. It's a tremendous gift to St. Augustine. Helps with the diversity too. It's again, it's that overall well-round, well-rounded ed education in person. Any other questions? That's all I have at the moment. All right, Don. I don't know how much time we have left. We got about five minutes. You want to closing remarks, thoughts? Well, I, I think I'd kind of go back to you know sort of the beginning that that 
you know, you want to focus on a, on a, a an efficiently functioning government that doesn't overtax, but also is not undertaxed. That that you've got that right level. Uh, I'm chair of the Civic Council, which is uh, Dr. Joyner is a member as well. Uh, it's 70 or 80 CEO level people, um, uh, businesses, and major nonprofits, and I'm chairing that this year. And and um, uh, yeah, they're always looking at those sorts of diverse diversity kinds of issues. They're interested in economic development as well. Actually, lost my train of thought of where I was going to go with that. But uh, um, it's a, this county is a gorgeous place to live. And um, my wife and I spent a lot of time here when we were in college. This we'd go to St. Augustine, Crescent Beach, this kind of thing. A number of our college friends are from here, and so uh, we consider it kind of a second home. And and uh, the chamber has, does a spectacular job down here. And um, over time, I think we want to think you know regionally is uh, uh, as, as you drive across the county line. Most people don't notice it or necessarily particularly care, but each county's got their own unique needs and desires. And um, um, and so as you focus on an efficient government helping to provide that quality of life, you got to underscore what that quality of life is that, you know, you want to try to sell. And, and again, that's what the Chamber of Commerce helps do and has diverse membership and interest. And, and uh, uh, I think I'd always try to follow their lead if I was living here. All right. Well, there's a great group here. And I uh, can speak for them saying, you know, we, the, the, the chamber encourages business here. You, you, you had mentioned growth and, and growth is inevitable. So in my business, growth happens and it happens because you have kids and now you have grandkids. I have kids and I hope to have grandkids. And so you have to do it in the smartest way possible. And that always evolves. 200 years ago was one thing. 50 years ago was different even in Jacksonville. Now it's, it's, it's trying to, to be as smart about it and responsible about it as, as possible. So you have a lot more environmental cons concerns, you've got a lot more green space. And so it's not gonna turn out, no offense to Daytona Beach, but it's not just a bunch of high rises for second homes of people who live out of state, right on the ocean. It, it's, it's a cohesive built-in thing. And I, I don't think you can get away with it. Yeah, I used to talk, when I would talk about managing growth, that I'd use the example, uh, we had a later in life kid, and when he was three years old, I can remember taking him down to the beach. We lived just off the beach in, in Neptune Beach. And, and a lot of parents will remember this. And he's hanging on to the hand and we go out into the water. And he goes, let go, let go, let go. And he stands there and the waves coming up. And I remember this time the sun was behind us. You could see his shadow out there. And take my hand, take my hand, grab it again. Goes out a little bit deeper. I can remember thinking, I don't want him to change. It was the most beautiful, wonderful moment. But he's going to change. He's got. I needed him to grow up. Uh, you need that to happen, and you hope to help guide it. And I think that's true, really. With, a, with we're in a growth state. This is a growth county, uh, and so you hope to manage it. And just saying we don't want it to happen. That that's not that's been the way it works. You know that that we fought a revolution to own land and to be able to build on our own property, and you need to regulate reasonably. But but it's going to come. And and trying to say no, 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 no. Um, much like my three-year-old kid that I would love to have kept him frozen at age three, that isn't going to happen. And uh, uh, the flip of that, you take a look at a lot of states in the, in the upper Midwest and New England, they're losing population. Right. You know, Ohio has lost seven, 800,000 people. Boy, that's a different dynamic. And we went and visited uh, Miami University in Ohio, but the, there's a lot of parallels to the University of North Florida. And they were looking at closing down buildings because they weren't getting the enrollment. And so that's, that's a different dynamic. And, you know, you'd love to go back to this, you know, rose colored time that everything was so much better in the past. Well, things change and you really need to try to help plan for it. And uh, fortunately, some of these communities like Nakatia have been very well planned. Fortunately, there's a gorgeous college with Flagler College and Flagler Hospital that are tremendous economic engines and uh, you just don't start those from scratch. So you just got to plan it, right? Things are going to change. Don't spoil it. Keep on going. Yeah, that's right. right. Well, thank you very much for your time. Sure. I do Enjoy appreciate it. it. Shake hands, but we're... Yes, <laughs> unfortunately. At a different time. Thanks again, and um, we'll see you all on the next one. John, thank you so much for being here with us um, today. And sharing your insights. We really appreciate that. Um, you know, talking of appreciation for you today, we'll have a, a basket full of cherished gifts from our region uh, of St. Augustine, donated by Historic Tours of America for you. Uh, 
Also to chamber members, I do want to say a big thank you for all of you for the question this morning. It was really exciting to see our members making this conversation with John even more vibrant with all your questions. So we appreciate that. This uh, presentation was recorded and it will be uploaded to your chamber member information center later today. In addition to that, you're going to receive a survey from us. We are very, truly committed to improve our virtual platform for all of our members, and we want your feedback. Our next event is in August, Economic Development Council in August, and we look forward to seeing you either face-to-face -face or virtual or both. So uh, have a great weekend. Thank you. If you have more questions and you have, we have not answered them, we will continue answering them offline. Thank you all. Have a great day.